AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So, Stan, I hear you've got a story for us today about uh, a zero-day vulnerability in Microsoft's VB script. Yeah, I was reading this article on Looping Computer, and they basically referenced a vulnerability that's actually been around for a little while. Uh, it's probably since April 2018. It's um, uh, listed under CV 2018-8373. It's a vulnerability in VBScript and how, I guess, VBScript can be used to help run you know, malware as usual. You know, with any of these vulnerabilities that are out there, that's really what it boils down to. You're running VBScript, you're vulnerable to this, it allows uh, access to your machine or whatever is running it. A couple of um, uh, different uh, like uh, security companies uh, we're able to tie back the use of this vulnerability in the wild to some APT, some well-known APT group. This one is interesting because this particular APT group actually targets um, hotels in Asia. Uh, so a lot of their victims uh, are kind of in this, in these, staying at these hotels, and they're somehow able to, you know, get them to uh, be infected uh, with malware using vulnerabilities such as this. Another interesting thing for like um, security researchers out there is basically how do you tie back a vulnerability to like an APT group or, or to any group of individuals? And I think uh, it's interesting here. You only get glimpses of it while reading the article. Uh, but one of the things they mentioned is the use of. Uh, tactics, the same tactics that were being used in the previous campaign or were being used like in the, in the most recent campaign. Um, they're looking at code at a very low level and they're like reverse engineering and they're like, wow, this routine looks the same way or it's using the same piece of um, uh, key, you know, it's using the same kind of key or it's laid out exactly the same way in memory. And when it comes down to it, you know, that's, those are the kind of things that security researchers look at to just then say, hey, uh, not only is this a bad campaign, this is who it's related to. And by the way, those are the things that those people are trying to do. Yeah, Stan, in your opinion with this one, uh, with the characteristics and, and how it's being used and you know, the targets, um, it, you think it's more of a you know, data gathering, financial, you got any thoughts on that one? Or does the article not really give that much uh, detail about the reasons behind it. They don't talk about the specific targets. The only thing that's common, which is interesting, is that the targets would stay at hotels, you know, in the Asian region. You know, when you're going and you're using any hotel's internet connection in any country, uh, in any city, you should be really careful what you plug in your laptop into. I always like to think about the lowest common denominator. It could be anyone in that hotel who could be possibly targeting you or trying to get at sensitive information that you have. Uh, so the best policy is always to think about how are you going to prevent yourself from becoming a victim. Are you going through the whatever the Wi-Fi network of the hotel? Are you taking out the little plug they have on the table there and plugging that in? Because every time you do that, your computer is actually sending lots of little meta information about itself when it tries to boot up. And if you have like a corporate machine, it might inadvertently start trying to connect to certain assets. And it's really easy, actually, to do like a man-in-the-middle attack. 
Um, so really, you know, as much as possible, uh, especially if you have like road warriors in your company that go out there, you want to give them as little uh, opportunity to get infected and bring that infection back into the corporation. We could also probably help that along with, uh, as you said, you know, locking down or hardening those devices. Uh, they don't necessarily need uh, visual basics, so on and so forth, but also helping the these people understand what they should and should not do, uh, more of a behavioral uh, awareness on top of just the computer, just the, the machines and, and applications that they're using, but also making sure that they've got a better understanding of what they really should and shouldn't do, especially when they're traveling um, all, all across the globe. Probably the best way to protect against this if it's possible in your environment, is to not not have VBScript running, right? So don't don't have that enabled. If unfortunately you're in an environment that cannot, then your next best option is to ensure that you're obviously patched against this vulnerability. Hey Tony, so I know you know that my passion is botnets and I know your passion is email. So I think you have something that crosses both worlds. Yeah, I do. And uh, when I came across this one, I thought of just that particular thing. So from what I've read, uh, researchers have found this new malware variant called Merap. And Merap uh, is being used or distributed in mail spam campaigns. Uh, so basically what that means is campaigns that are sending out uh, nefarious emails, typically URLs or attachments. Uh, this one in particular is attachment. So uh, they're only focused right now on file attachments within an email being sent out via the Necker's botnet. Email is one of the easiest vectors to infiltrate any kind of network today. Um, so I think that's really the biggest thing that we've seen from this one is, is the massive amount of campaigns or email-based uh, campaigns that are coming out of this new uh, variant. Now, the malware is in its infancy, so it's, it's just, they've just seen it. Uh, it's re relatively new. It's pretty uh, thinned down compared to some of the, the older, more uh, developed malware. But this one is, um, is VMware. Uh, but it's only VMware looking for, like, malware analysis. So it, it doesn't have that complexity yet, which kind of shows to its infancy. Uh, but it is right now only seen within uh, email campaigns. Um, it is uh, from what I've researched on top of what, what I read in this article, it is very, very small right now. Marab malware is not... Um like fully baked, it seems like it's the first foray after maybe a lull um, in the adversary's activity to try to do like malware that can evade a sandbox. The distribution being Neckers is the other side of the coin that's, that's really interesting. Neckers is a botnet that pushes a ton of spam. And this one in particular has been very busy in the past four years. But uh, the Nexus botnet all of a sudden got pretty quiet in 2018. I have a theory on this, and I'd like to toss it to you guys uh, and get your input on this. But the theory and prediction is uh, it's been very quiet with this botnet because they're busy developing. 
And I have a feeling, and it's just my opinion, that the actors that run Neckers or use it are the ones that develop the Marwrap malware. So this year they were working on it, developing it, testing it, and now we're starting to see a little bit of it kind of trickle out across this botnet. My prediction is fourth quarter this year, we're probably going to see if this malware is successful in their eyes, an uptick in it, maybe gradual. So the adversaries are trying to think of new ways to get past some of these protections uh, that are in place. And I think um, this particular malware sample maybe didn't even have a purpose other than to test the success rate of being able to get through. With these spam campaigns, you're talking about huge volumes. I mean, they're sending out tons of this stuff, right? And so I think what you're seeing now is you're seeing the vendors out there, there are these defenders that are now, now getting very smart about picking up the intricacies about each one of those different campaigns and how each campaign sort of changes a little bit. And so now they're picking up on like, how do I now change my defenses so that I can start picking up things maybe a little bit faster and maybe even a little bit of ahead of time. Yeah, so I, I think they're kind of, bad actors are kind of tired of being caught a lot and they're working on trying to make it better. And that goes to the analogy that, you know, us, us as defenders, uh, we build a big wall to protect and then the bad actors will build a bigger ladder. Yeah, definitely what the last few years have shown us is the bad guys are not gonna stop. Whatever wall you build, they're gonna try to get around it because they have to further you know, perpetrate their fraud. Um, one thing I, I would say is that uh, over the years, definitely the collaboration between different uh, security vendors and security researchers has gotten better. So we can understand the ecosystem of these uh, adversaries a lot better uh, of the, the people we're up against. Yeah. I think in this particular case, uh, it's, it's important to have a good uh, protection around your email. It's both uh, having some kind of technical implementation to prevent spam from coming in, uh, and unfortunately, if some of the emails do make it through, educating the users on what, what to do, what not to do, um, to report things, and to have a robust program where users who have a suspicion they can send their suspicion somewhere, uh, it'll get analyzed and uh, you'll get some sort of a result. Hey Manny, I heard you got something about fileless malware you wanna let us know about? Yeah, so, uh, so I, I came across this story and I know we've done stories on different types of fileless malware. Fileless malware is clearly not something new. Um, but this story sort of caught my eye because it's talking about the, the challenges of detecting fileless malware. So if we think about our traditional protections with antivirus, um, it kind of requires some kind of a file to be analyzed. Something present that gets executed, wrong. Uh, but uh, what the adversaries have started doing is thinking about ways of never even having that file to be analyzed. It seems to be gaining popularity because of how hard it is to detect, obviously. Um, and this kind of goes into the things that make it difficult to detect fileless malware today. So the first one that they have is analyzing fileless code in an OS agnostic method. So they're talking about like traditionally, we have, when you've got tools today, 
and vulnerabilities, they're usually against some particular application, some particular OS, right? And you've got things that you can target in terms of your defenses based on what you know about what that particular vulnerability is actually targeting. In this case, what you have is you, you've got nothing that's on the disk. The sky basically is the limit. So you can't really take your, your analysis and break it down into a single OS or a single application, right? Um, the second thing that they're talking about is identifying and analyzing concealed and obfuscated code. So you could spend a ton of time looking through your logs to find PowerShell that's being used across your, your, your network, but now you've got it running obfuscated. Another level of complexity that people don't realize when they're dealing with fileless malware. Um, the, the third one, detecting a broad spectrum of fileless attacks with no impact on network and host performance. You know, again, something that is not showing up Right? No, no, no on disk. And for the most part, it's not going to cause a blip on your radar when you've got a, you know, let's say a, a targeted attack. Another problem with the fileless malware stuff. Uh, determining if, uh, if recovered code will execute benign or malicious operations. This one's talking about uh, benign applications and processes using uh, scripts for legitimate purposes. So you've got a ton of scripts that normally run, let's say on a, on a Windows OS, that are run and they're legitimate. How do, you dis, how do you distinguish between legitimate scripts that are running that maybe PowerShell is kicking off from non-legitimate? Um, and then the last one that they have is detecting threats in real time. Real time is another problem, you know, again, because of the methods that you have today of, of collecting the logs, trying to uh, find this stuff in real time as you're collecting the logs is very hard. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges with detecting fileless malware is a lot of detection mechanisms, they rely on looking at something and that something is a file. And so I recently had this experience where um, people were asking me, hey, can you give me some samples of something that we should be on the lookout for? some new malware family, something that we need to make sure we detect absolutely. And I said, yeah, we need to detect fileless malware. And they're like, well, great, give me a sample of that. <laughs> I was like, there's no sample. I can't give it to you because it's fileless. There's no actual code that you can give that they could run. Uh, it's all kind of this uh, forensics that you have to do or um, piece together the malware from different parts of memory. One of my thoughts on this is about, you know, it staying resident in a registry. I mean, there's got to be a method like the registry, you know, an open shell within there, a couple of keys, lines, uh, whatever, to keep it persistent. So after the machine is rebooted, it's not wiped out. Um, the registry is, you know, is a prime example uh, or is a prime thing to use there. Um, how to detect something that could be popped anywhere in a registry is, is a tedious, huge task. The, the one thing that I did, you know, as I was researching this, this particular story, you know, I went off and figured out, like, what, so what are other people using as defenses against fileless malware? 
And what I found was actually kind of surprising because what I find what I find is is that people tend to not be tackling the actual problem itself. It's how does the problem propagate on your network? Today, the best way to do protection against this is to actually stop the vectors that is used to get the fileless malware into your environment, which means now doing protections better at the email side of the house and at the, at the web side of, you know, so doing protections at the, uh, you know, at the, at the browser in essence. Hey Manny, uh, so today I wanna to share with you this week's internet weather. And uh, this part of the report is the top 10 most pro ports. This is going to be an indication of somebody who's really interested in maybe scanning a particular port. It could be a botnet or a couple of adversaries. Um, now, actually, if you've been following us week over week, nothing has really changed much. I mean, there's been some movement in the numbers, but these ports are pretty well understood. Um, you could see about half of the activity uh, of probing that we can detect. Um, is part of the top 10, whereas you know the rest of the activity, the scanning activity, kind of falls into this other bucket. Um, so I kind of want to highlight a few things from the most sources probing report. Now this one is a little bit more interesting because uh, it's representative of botnets, and you know how I love botnets yep. and uh, tracking them and figuring out really what some of these adversaries are up to. And something interesting here popped up, 8081. Now 8081, it's kind of like this alternate web port, uh, but it's jumped up 170, uh, you know, it was in 179th position last week, and it's jumped up 173 places uh, to be number six um, in the number of sources scanning for that port. Uh, this week. And another interesting port there is uh, 37.215, uh, so it's CCP. Both are related to botnets, and I just wanted to show you a little bit more about what they are. So uh, I went ahead and I said, hey, let's see the scan source activity for port 8081 for the last 90 days. And you could see there in June, there was a little bit of a, of a spike, it kind of came and went. Uh, but then things kind of petered out. I mean, if you look at it carefully, you'll see that there's less than 500, even less than 250 scan sources per hour uh, for pretty much most of the time. But then suddenly, just a few days ago actually, you could see the sudden rise. And um, you could see that there's like a peak of up to almost 5,500 devices scanning all at the same time for the sport. So I decided to zoom in a little bit at the last five days and really try to understand it a little bit more. So I looked at the actual devices and I was trying to figure out like at three points in this progression, uh, what are uh, the all of the devices that are scanning or where are they coming from? I think with the internet weather this week, I really tried to showcase not just the, the ports that are being scanned, but to give a little bit more of an idea of where is the scanning activity coming from, what botnets are responsible for it, and where do these botnets seem to originate. And one interesting thing that you'll see is that in Africa, there's something that's lit up uh, in yellow from the beginning till the end. You know, from, as you could see, when there were just 369 addresses scanning to now when there's, uh, you know, like 5,000 IP addresses scanning, there still seems to be a concentration that's actually Egypt, in Egypt. Mm. And you could see the botnet grow, but never quite expand out of Egypt. So it's not clear 100% exactly what this is. 
Um, I did a random sampling of some of the scan sources, and it does appear that there is a specific telecom provider in Egypt that probably has most of these uh, devices um, that are doing the scanning for this. So it's very possible that maybe there's some kind of equipment that they're providing or something like that, which is, uh, it's possible, you know, that it might have become compromised or somebody discovered a new vulnerability right. and is now building a botnet of all these devices, uh, which is a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, and I guess you can continue to tr track that to see where, you know, this, is this going to maintain, stay at, yeah. at a high level? Is it going to go up? Or is it, are we going to see this eventually drop off? And uh, So we'll keep an eye on it as usual. The other thing I wanted to point out is this uh, uh, port 37215. We've actually, uh, I think, covered this before, um, or for sure it's been written about before. Uh, so this one is related to these Huawei HG532 devices, which have a vulnerability, an old vulnerability from 2017 that was published. Um, and the Satori botnet is actually, uh, I think there was some analysis from NetLab that linked this exploit and the devices that are infected with it to the Satori botnet. Um, and they did some great analysis. But you could see, you know, with uh, the scanning that's going on on this port now, uh, when you look back 90 days, it actually started and has been growing uh, since mid-July. Uh, so this activity has kind of been ongoing. Uh, there's lots of scan sips, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's about 3,000 or so devices uh, that have this. Uh, so I said, hey, let me do the same thing. Let me look at the map of all the devices and figure out, are they localized to some region? And it's very interesting. I mean, I, it's actually very, very interesting to see this because you could see, you know, they're kind of all over the place, but there are hotspots for sure, which is probably where these Huawei devices probably work with ISPs in certain countries and they probably you know, have a large deployment in those countries. So uh, I had to get my geography textbook out for this. Uh, <laughs> that's Ecuador in South America, uh, Tunisia in Africa. That middle part, I guess that's Russia, somewhere in Russia uh, or, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure which region that is because you can see, I mean, Russia is a huge country. There's obviously China and the Korean Peninsula all impacted. And if you read all of these write-ups uh, by NetLab 360, they, you'll, you'll notice they've talked about the Satori botnet for many years, uh, or f definitely for many months. Um, and they have actually have a great article that explains and goes into details of how the malware works, what the capability of the malware is, and exactly you know some, um, the, the information about this exploit uh, and these devices. Um, so it's interesting to see a resurgence because when they first wrote this article it was actually in January of this year. So it's been uh, what, like eight months or so uh, since we've last heard about it and now we're hearing about it again. It seems like there's a, an uptick suddenly. Um, and that's all. That's all I have for, for this week's Internet Weather. Excellent. Dan was actually bringing sort of a little bit of a, a twist to the way we normally do Internet Weather and, and I think it comes from uh, Stan's background in botnets and his love in, in botnets today. I do enjoy reverse engineering malware and figuring out how it works and really getting uh, to the bottom of botnets, so yes, I love it.
The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.